This is Not Another Golf Podcast with Sporting Life's Ben Coley and National Club golfer's Alex Perry. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Not Another Golf Podcast. My name is Alex Perry, nationalclubgolfer.com and as always, my right hand man, Mr. Ben Coley of sportinglife.com. Assistant to the presenter. Assi- <laughs> uh, hello. Hello. It's uh, open week. I, I bloody love the open, I do. Of course, of course you do. So do I. Um, it's weird, isn't it, that it's the last one. I know we've covered this, but it's the last major. This is it. Makes it um, it's a really more exciting, long... but also more depressing at what's to come over the next eight months. Yeah, it's a really long way to the Masters. A long way it? to Georgia from here. Yeah. Although we've got the President's Cup to split it up. Oh, well, thank heavens. So that's God, okay. There I was worrying. Um, it's also in Australia. I'm not so watching yeah, so we'll You are not watching night. the President's yeah. Cup, Alex Perry. Fact. Should we go? We no, should go. no, oh, I don't like spiders. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. No way am I going to Australia. Sorry, folks. Um, are you excited? Hmm. I'm really excited, although um, on Tuesday I'll be flying in a plane which I don't think is fit to fly. Um, fly B feel otherwise, and I've put my faith in them over the car ferry, um, which I now regret because I think I've got to fly to Belfast. Well, I know I've got to fly to Belfast, and then I have to get on like a local train, and the whole of Europe is going to be on that train, yep. and I don't like not being able to get a seat. I'll have luggage. I'm taking luggage because wow. expense. You know when you go on a flight, you don't take luggage. It costs a fortune. Work a pain for this one, pal. <laughs> 48 pounds for that bag it'll be worth every penny well, but yeah I'm really I'm seriously very very excited it's a real privilege to go to the open um, and this will be what my 7th or 8th and I have a feeling it might be the best we of course met at the open we did we, we, have, we have to tell this in every single podcast <laughs> we have to tell this story I can't believe that's the route you've taken so that, um, that, was, that was my segue did you like that Yep. Um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to those photos popping up on mm. Facebook in the next Time day or so. Hop, coming into nice, its own, it? as it is want. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, we became best, friend, best, best friends or, forever. Yeah, BFF, I think, is the, uh, the acronym. It's an initialism, actually, isn't it? I'm actually um, missing it, as you know. Um, why wouldn't I have told you that already? The Open or my company. Uh, both, both. both. Um, no, I'm missing it. Uh, I, uh, again, mentioned in every single podcast so far. My son was born in March. Can't leave my girlfriend and two kids for sort of seven or eight days at a time. So and I'm they still f- don't have a crash at the media centre. They still do- that is such a good idea. How have we not? I know. Put that to the eye. I've yet? written. I've written. Oh goodness me, that's a great idea. But I'll be uh, bouncing back at Royal St George's next year. Good. So yeah, Kent, that'd be nice. We could do a road trip. I say we could do a road trip. You'll be going in the car with your colleagues here at NCG. I'll be travelling on my own on the train. My brother lives just 20 minutes from St. George's, so... You should have I said that, st- I, I now expect a room. <laughs> I plan on staying there. So, no, but uh, let, let's come back to this year, shall we? Mm. Um, actually, let's go back to yesteryear. Um, does, does yesteryear... My favourite year. <laughs> does, does yesteryear incorporate any year in the, in the past, or does, is it literally I just last so, year? I think although I think if you... No, I think I think I was going to say quite the opposite. I was going to say if you say yesteryear, I don't think you're going to say twelve months ago. I think you're going to say in 1781. But okay, anyway, let's good. say yesteryear right. is any year prior to this one. All right. So this is this is obviously it's everyone's favourite major. So tell Pardon me, Charles Howell. He, tell he tell me your favourite open memory. Like, what, what what's your first memory of watching it when you were a kid? Or my first memory is Justin Leonard winning it. Um, I'd love to tell you what year that was, but um, it'd be 97, I think, something like that. Um, I I certainly remember watching Paul Laurie win it and being, um, you know, sort of as shocked as anybody, but also mesmerised by the um, 
the the drama unfolding not not too dissimilar to the drama which unfolded in uh, the world of cricket and tennis on oh Sunday. goodness how have we gone this long without mentioning that I know, cricket I know. world champions Sh- shame Roger didn't win isn't it um, <laughs> that says a lot about us you we won the world cup me yeah, yeah but Federer didn't win I was gutted so for Federer he's my favourite sports person of, of all time of course but, um, mutual likewise reciprocated um, sorry Justin Leonard <laughs> Justin Leonard probably my first one if you want a favourite open memory to be honest the open for me has just been it's felt like a series of heartbreaks um I, the guy I wanted to win has never won it, apart from probably 2017 Jordan Spieth at Birkdale. And given that that was uh, among the most dramatic hours, certainly the most dramatic hour um, where I've been present at the golf course, I'm going to say that. I know you're probably hoping for something from the late 90s or something. But <laughs> I'm going to go Jordan Spieth. I thought that was that was high drama. It was also uh, a demonstration of what great sportsmen can do in, you know, what separates great sportsmen from very, very good one. What separates Jordan Spieth from Matt Kuchar? Um he cast spells that afternoon and, and it was uh, uh, it was uh, one of those times where you're in the media centre and people who've been there for 30, 40 years are speechless. So um, It was something like, tw- we're of course talking about when he found the driving range or he found that dune to the, to the right of 13, mm. had to drop it back onto the driving range right next to the Titleist tour truck uh, and then he took that, I want to say it was a hybrid over the dune and then got down in three for the most unlikely of bogeys. Um, and I think I'm writing saying it was 21 minutes from hitting the tee shot to hitting yeah. his second shot or yeah. third, I guess. But for um, me, it was the, and forgive me if you're about to go here, but it was then to go there, the look in his eye, and then the walk to the next tee. It was a par three, playing tough, six iron, I think he hit, and he just stiffed almost it. Almost hold it, yeah. And, and that is when the Open was won. I know he rolled in that eagle putt and made Grella go and pick it up and all that. And, you know, in the end, he won fairly convincingly. But that moment, um, that, those minutes from the walk off the back of that when he made his five to the, to the approach he hit to the following hole um, were, were just unbelievable. So that's going to be my favourite. What was yours? Ben Curtis? Uh, yeah. I mean, you've actually, you've actually stolen mine. Um, regular listeners will know that I'm Jordan Spieth's number one fan. So... Um, I'm actually surprised that your sort of earliest memory was it was as later. I know you're a couple of years younger than me, but <laughs> yeah, I feel like um, <laughs> I feel like late nineties is, is still quite late because you must have been. Yeah, I'd have been twelve, 12 13. Or thirteen. I, I I'm not someone who's my, my dad doesn't play golf. I, I got into it through my granddad, and um, I and we didn't have Sky Sports and stuff. So yeah, yeah I, I watch the Open well, every I, year, but I also have a very 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 poor memory. <laughs> Back then, of course, it was it was just on the BBC, I, plastered from 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 dawn until dusk but i do I mean, remember I, john I, daly costantino rocker actually yeah. so that's probably my earliest yeah. memory but i just didn't really care i didn't know yeah. who i wanted to win now i know i would have wanted rocker. i mean I'm, I'm the same as you my dad and my granddad were the reasons why i played golf and watch golf and, and we used to just sit there and watch the open from from the moment it started to the moment it finished every single day of it and um nick faldo at st andrews in 1990 just he i mean he's the you reason you are old i was five i know uh, well i would it would have just been shy of my eighth birthday. So um, I just remember sitting there with my parents and, and my granddad just watching it. It was fantastic. Um, and was it was 1990 the year of the Pringle jumper, that yellow jumper he was wearing? Why am I talking like this? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it probably was. Yeah. yeah. Um, Great hair. Yeah, I just, I just, yeah, Nick Faldo was like, like the reason why I fell in love with this sport. And that for me was the, when I fell in love with the Open, I think. And I just, I don't think I've missed one since. Um, that's not to say that my memory isn't horrendous. I mean, you said 
was Justin Leonard in 1997 and I just shrugged at you um, but yes it was I've just looked on Wikipedia good uh, in, good while I rem- you were I, now on, I'm so. thinking more about it I remember like feeling because when you're a kid now I'm, I'm not a very patriotic person though I did yelp when England won the World Cup um, but when I was a kid I didn't want Americans winning the Open yeah that, that, you know, this is our tournament yeah exactly um, and I, I you know O'Meara Tom Lehman felt like one where I was like oh come on Tom yeah give someone else a go, you know, and I, and I certainly, my overriding memory, I suppose, of, of mid-1990s Open Championships is that hope on a Thursday morning that, you see, my favourite golf was Colin Montgomery, and that hope on a Thursday morning that this could be the year and that realisation on, well, Thursday afternoon that it probably, <laughs> probably wasn't going to be. Um, so, yeah, many great memories. I think um, we should just quickly mention, mm. um, because you stole Spieth from me, I think I'll, I'll just, I'll take Rory McIlroy at Hoylake. Not only because it was when you and I first met and became BFFs, but because it was it was a bit like what you were just saying about Monty. It was like, will will McRoy ever get over the line at the Open? And then he and then he did it, and it was just tremendous. And you had that wonderful grandstand around eighteen, it didn't was you? A great Which was just, probably yeah. the best grandstand in golf. Did I would that go say. to someone like Kazakhstan for a Grand Prix after that? Uh, I believe it did. I yeah. think it did. That's yeah, globe trotting uh, stands. It's not as interesting <laughs> as I'd hoped. Should we crack on? Let's crack on. So um, I think it's fair to say that for Sky Sports reporter Jamie Weir, um, the best is yet to come in terms of uh, open memories and that whatever happens at Port Rush over the following four or five days um, will make memories for him that last a lifetime because he cares very dearly about this as as we've spoken, you know, perhaps not in the same way as it does for McDowell and McElroy, but as a Northern Irishman, um, this carries special significance and that's why Alex and I caught up with him to chat Royal Port Rush and the making of a documentary. You're listening to Not Another Golf Podcast with Sporting Life's Ben Coley and National Club golfer's Alex Perry. Okay, we've got on the line Sky Sports... Probably is their most handsome reporter, I would Definitely say. Their most would you? Reporter. Definitely yeah. their most handsome yeah. reporter. Jamie Weir. Yeah. Jamie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, yeah. Thanks for the intro. Nick Doherty will be happy you said that. Nick Doherty, he, also a very handsome man. He's also he is very in handsome. a different pool of personalities, in my opinion. No offence. <laughs> and Andrew Coulthard in the flesh is very handsome. I can imagine that, you know. He's aged yeah. well, hasn't he? He Like a fine wine. He's, he's like, actually, I mean, he, he was quite a scrawny funny looking little young fella but uh, he's a very handsome 49 year old man now there is hope for, there's not hope for us all <laughs> <laughs> anyway for Jane, let's let's i'm uncomfortable with this subject already um jamie <laughs> we we've got you on here not only for your good looks on this podcast but for um a little chat about the open championship and and it's returned to northern ireland after i think 68 years um how yeah. big a deal is it for for northern ireland in general but also the golfing public in northern ireland and ireland as a as a broader um area what what's the deal here how big a deal is this i mean it's it's simply the biggest sporting event northern ireland's ever hosted and uh the excitement around northern ireland is just quite incredible you've seen from the irish open in recent years how well the irish public uh, support when it comes to the golf, I mean, they turn out in their droves in numbers, and you'll have seen all the press releases about how quick ticket ticket sales were sold out for the 148th Open, and the fact that we had those three major champions in a 13 month spell, which I'm sure we'll come on to. You know, it, all, golf was already massive in Ireland before then, but you know, it's, it was it then became huge and. It's just you can, I can't really put it into terms just how much it means to people. There's just such incredible excitement about it. It's going to be incredible numbers next week turning out to Royal Port Rush to watch it. And uh, well, fingers crossed, you might have a Northern Irishman win it. Who knows? 
You mentioned uh, that little run of success in the majors for Northern Ireland. How significant were the roles of Darren Clark, Graham McDowell and, and Rory McIlroy? I think that was the final bit that pushed it over the edge for Royal Port Rush. There had been conversations going on before then. Um, between 1995 and 2004, it hosted the, the Senior Open uh, six times, and then had the Irish Open in 2012, and that was a big success. There were conversations ongoing between Royal Port Rush and the RNA about having an Open Championship there. There were a lot of logistical hurdles that needed to be jumped through, and the RNA weren't sure whether there was the infrastructure needed in this small seaside town on the Causeway Coast and North Antrim Coast. They saw the crowds for the Irish Open, which turned out in their thousands, despite the fact there were four grotty days weather-wise, which we may well get next week. And <laughs> Northern Ireland has that uh, tendency from time to time. But they saw the success of the Irish Open. Um, they got in an architect who rebuilt two holes, and we're going to talk about that in a bit as well. Um, the RNA were satisfied that it then had the infrastructure to deal with it. And I think, you know, Graham, Graham McDowell winning the US Open at Pebble Beach in 2010, Rory a year later becoming back-to-back Northern Irish US Open champions by winning a congressional, and then just a month later, Darren Clark, which was the most unexpected of the lot. Um, that really, I think, was the moment that all the members of Royal Pot Rush thought, this is going to happen now, isn't it? Three major champions in 13 months from a wee country of 1.5 million people. It was incredible. But I spoke to Darren Clark a couple of weeks ago, and he said that even 15, 20 years ago, if you'd suggested the thought of uh, Northern Ireland hosting a, a tournament as big as the Open, that you'd be sectioned. Uh, I mean, growing up, did you see ever imagine anything like this happening? No, I can't say I did. You know, I, I mean, I've been a huge golf fan since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. I fell in love with the game, sitting in my dad's lap watching Open Championships. Uh, back in the 80s and the 90s and you know I never dreamed that Northern Ireland would have success in the global sporting stage like the way they did I never dreamed that the biggest golf tournament on the planet would be coming to little old Northern Ireland and you know the fact of the matter is uh, life was tough in Northern Ireland when you're growing up in the 80s and 90s and there were, there's so much stuff that divides us in Northern Ireland the one thing that unites us is a love of sport and that has always been the case you look at Barry McGuigan in the 80s you look at you know Dennis Taylor winning the snooker world championship in the 80s people were united by their love of sport and now golf has taken over that mantle and in particular Rory and the, there will be every section of Northern Irish society there next week at Royal Port Rush and um, watching the Open Championship and for the country to sort of come full circle and be uh, showing itself on the global stage with the eyes of the world on this tiny little corner of North Antrim in Northern Ireland is going to be such a special week for every Northern Irish person. We've heard a lot, Jamie, about um, Rory McIlroy's 61 there in 2005. Yeah. And um, obviously scoring was, was fairly decent despite the weather when Jamie Donaldson won the Irish Open there. But what do you think we should expect from Portrush under open conditions? How difficult a test is it? How much is it hostage to the weather? I know every... Every league's yeah. course is determined somewhat by what the weather gods do. But what do you really expect players to be presented with at Port Rush? I mean, you've hit you've hit the nail on the head, really. If it's flat calm, then I'm sure that there's there's a score there to be had. If the wind blows, and I've been to Port Rush, I I can't think of how many times I've been to Port Rush, hundreds of times, and I can't remember ever being there in a day when the wind wasn't blowing. So if the wind blows, then it will show its teeth. And over the last few weeks, there's been a real dump of rainfall at Royal Port Rush. The 
the, the rough is heavy and really thick in places. So if you stray offline, you're going to be in trouble. The fairways have been really brought in. Um, there's really clever um, bunkering around the course. It's going to be much more like Carnoustie in terms of trying to cling on and dig out a score than the old course at St Andrews where you, know, you can go around and there's plenty of party opportunities. There are tough par threes there are par fours where you need to be so accurate off the tee but there's also par fours where the 17th the finish actually i'll just tell you about the finishing section so the 16th which you may or may not know is a, a hole called calamity it's a par three which plays 236 yards off the tips and there is just a chasm anywhere right of the green so if that's playing into the wind with the wind off the left and into on Sunday afternoon, there's going to be some big scores racked up there. Then you move on to the 17th, which is a drivable par four. And then the 18th, which is a really great finishing hole, um, which is a tough par four, but there are birdie opportunities if you can find the fairway off the tee. So, it, it's a course where, yeah, look, you are hostage to conditions. Of course, you are like any links course, as you said, Ben. But if you can... Um, Keep the ball in play. If you're straight and accurate off the tee, um, there's a good score to be had, but there can all, there will also be some doubles, trebles and others uh, racked up over the course of those four days. Obviously, since 2012, the course has changed just a little bit. They've added some yardage. It's quite yeah. long now for a Lynx course, isn't it? But um, specifically, I wanted to ask you about those two new holes, the 7th and 8th. What are they like? Because we won't have seen them on television. You've been there. You've seen them uh, in the flesh, if you like. What can we expect from them? Yeah, they're stunning holes. Uh, Martin Ebert, who built them, has done an unbelievable job. So to give you a bit of the backstory, the, the Irish Open that you would have watched in 2012 when Jamie Donaldson won, the 17th and 18th, 17th was a par 5, the 18th was a par 4. I think Royal Portrush members won't mind me saying they were two pretty bland, forgettable holes, uh, not really great finishing holes at all. They were also the perfect sort of plot of land that the RNA immediately identified for the spectator village and the thousands of acreage of tenting that you need for an open championship. So the plan was, we're going to put all the tents in those 17th and 18th, but you need to go and find us two new holes. There are two courses at Royal Rush, the Dunluce Links, where the Open's going to be played, and the Valley Links, which is also a really nice course, to be fair. So they borrowed some land, or took some land, really, off the valley, um, and built two new holes on this land. Now, the two new holes that they built on were a par three and a par four. They needed to replace a five and a four, obviously. Um, so they had to rebuild beyond the holes that they were taking from the valley. But you see these holes now, and they just look as if they've been there for 100 years. They're carved out of the dunes. They're stunning. The seventh is a par five, which snakes through the dunes. From the tee box, it's just quite quite a beautiful hole. Um, if, it, if the wind's into, it's going to be a real tough hole. But if you've got wind behind you, you expect eagles and birdies there. And then the eighth is a really strong par four coming back in the opposite direction, where um, the green sort of falls away the left so if you're not very accurate with your approach and then you're going to leave yourself a very tough up and down for par so the two new holes they've done an unbelievable job and i think it's just the way they fit in with the flow of the course is is incredible i can't praise martin ebert and the job his team have done enough in terms of the spectators and you've obviously been there a lot uh there's going to be Mm. thousands and thousands of people that haven't from all over the world uh what would you recommend to them any little inside tips you can give them like good viewing points things like that I mean, the really boring advice is find yourself a spot in the grandstand at the 18th because you're going to see you know, the Claret Chug won and lost there. Um, in terms of if you wanted to get out, which I like to do when I'm in a golf tournament, if you want to get out and walk around the course and sort of follow this group for a couple of holes and then cut back and follow another group for a few holes, 
then you can't really go wrong on the Dunluce links, it has to be said. There are so many sort of elevated positions from where you can see quite a few holes. Um, there is a grandstand right at the back of the 17th green. And from there, you can see about five different holes. That's a really good spot to be. Um, the 15th tee box is a pretty good spot because from there, you can see all that. You can see down onto the 7th and 8th, the new holes. You can obviously see the 15th as well. You can see players teeing off in the 16th. So that's a pretty good spot as well. But the real answer is that you can't really go wrong at Royal Port Rush because um, there are just so many. You know, even if you don't like golf, if you do, even if you just like stunning scenery, you can just go along and uh, the views are absolutely spectacular. Um, you probably both of you seen the fifth hole, which actually, if the wind is behind, is probably drivable. But it's called White Rocks, and over the back of the fifth green is a sheer drop down onto the beach it's out of bounds obviously so you're thinking if the wind is behind it's going to be a real conundrum for players do you have a go and risk going ob with your tee shot or do you sort of play it safe but oh, that's it even with your approach it's a tough shot because you can still go back over the fifth green and down onto the beach so um that's a pretty good spot to be as well around the fifth green and the sixth tee box but uh uh, look, I think people are just going to fall in love with it. In terms of the courses on the open rota, in terms of the most spectacular, the most beautiful courses, I think Turnbury is hard to beat, but Royal Port Rush might just do it. Well done for using Turnbury's correct full and all-time name there. Thank you very much. <laughs> exactly. Um, if there I is... didn't want to mention the orange-faced man. <laughs> no, good. Alex, how are you? No, that's a joke. Um, <laughs> If there is a, a slight uh, negative as we approach the, the championship, it, it would be the weather. Now, I mean, for some people, certainly those sitting at home, I think there are a lot of people who quite enjoy watching people toil in the in the windproofs yeah. and the rainproof clothing. But for a spectator, it can uh, dampen spirits somewhat. I'm sure it won't, given the 68 years it's been since Northern Ireland hosted the Open. But I wanted to ask you, Jamie, do you think there's any risk whatsoever that this could turn, if it got really, really soft, and as I talk to you now, we've seen pictures of puddles on the course and what have you yeah is there a risk or a concern that you'd have that we might see an imbalance in terms of what skills are um are, are best uh, required here because i, I know power yeah. is and always will be an advantage but last year at carnoustie obviously we had francesco we had kevin kisner um, yeah. but we had tony finau we had tiger woods we had a real mix of skill sets is there a risk that this could just turn into a bit of a uh, blast it and and go find it I mean, I think the, the drainage is so good at the course that the, the rainfall we've had this week, I don't think will affect her plays for the tournament itself. If we get a dry week next week, then Portrush will still show its teeth. Carnoustie last year was a bit of a freak, a bit of an anomaly. It was like Turnbury in 77. I've never seen a course look so baked out. Uh, they were sort of hitting tee shots 400 yards. The, the, the Barry Burn on the 18th was drivable for crying out loud. When when did we ever see that before? So uh, Carnoustie was a bit of an exception to the rule. They will, if we get some good sunshine next week, the course still will dry out. It still will be a tough test. You're right. Nobody wants to just see a sodden course where you can just throw darts and you're going to get, um, well, I suppose it might work in Mr. McElroy's favour if it's a bit like that. But, um, you know, I, I, nobody wants to see, none of the Portrush members want to see the course get taken apart and 24 under par to be the winning score. So that rough is thick. The ferries are narrow in places. There is a real premium on driving accuracy off the tee. Um, and I think uh, they will. the course will dry out. They're not going to get the same. It's certainly not forecast for the same amount of rainfall next week as we've had this week. 
Jamie, before we get on to who you think is going to lift the claret jug next He's Sunday... He's going to say Rory let me just put that out there. <laughs> before, before we get on to which non-Northern Irish player you're going to think is going <laughs> to... Um, just tell us a little bit about the, the documentary you've been filming and where we can watch it yeah. and what's it about. Yeah, this has been a real sort of um, labour of love for me over the last year. I've been making a documentary about the Open returning to Northern Ireland for the first time in 68 years. I've spoken to the people that made it happen. Um, a lot of that was down to the three boys I've spoken about, Darren, G-Mac and Rory. Um, Arlene Foster was hugely influential in getting it back to the, to Northern Ireland as well. Um, but the real star of the show for me, I think, is, is a woman you may or may not have read about in the build-up to the Open. That's Wilma Erskine, who's the secretary at Royal Port Rush. She is a character Wilma she's absolutely fantastic and uh, I've actually just popped out of the edit so we've just been making putting the final touches to the docker and uh, Wilma comes across as the real star of the show so it's all about how Northern Ireland managed to get the open back uh, what had to change in both the town itself and on the course uh, to make it open ready um, I look back at 1951 we speak to Brian Barnes who was the son-in-law of Max Faulkner and um, there was a wonderful piece of serendipity because Brian Barnes Barnes won the senior open at Royal Port Rush with Max Faulkner watching on in 1995, 44 years after Max had become champion golfer of the year there. So that was wonderful. Um, and it is all going to air next week and uh, it'll get a few run outs in Sky Sports, but I think it's getting its first running on Monday evening around about seven o'clock on Sky Sports Golf. So, yes, please tune in because uh, I'm very proud of the job we've managed to do on that. I'm sure you've done a fine job with it, Jamie. We'll be setting the Sky Plus boxes uh, for that next week. Um, uh, finally, then, let's let's end on who you're backing. You are allowed to give us one Northern Irishman, but if you give me a tricast yeah. of McElroy McDowell Clark, I will. Uh, it, this this interview will never make it to air. So, give us a couple of names that you think, for whatever reason, might be well served to to Portrush next week. I mean, look, obviously, the, the dream story for everyone in Northern Ireland would be if Rory could do it. Um, it, it it's a course, obviously, he loves. Um, he's got the course record there, even though I think people are saying it's not actually the official course record next week because he was only playing 16 of the holes that will be playing next week, if you know what I mean. But um, I just, I, I, my fear is that there's so much pressure on Rory's shoulders. Um, he's got everybody willing him to do it. If he doesn't do it, then next year it'll be six years since he last won a major championship. So there's a huge amount of pressure on Rory. But can he do it? Yes, of course he can. Um, I'm not going to put money on him, though. I'm not going to put my hard-earned money on him. I've got a few quid um, on Xander Schofley because um, I think he proved at Carnoustie last year that he is one of the young Americans who has mastered or has the ability to master Lynx golf. And his major record, as you know, Ben, is just ridiculous. Um, so I'll have a few quid on Xander. You know, I'm tempted to have a few quid on Shane Lowry because um, he, he'll know the course. Uh, he loves his Lynx golf, seems to bring out the best in him. So I might have a few little quid on um, Sugar Shane. And um, I've got some money on Eddie Pepperell as well, who... Played really well for sort of two and a half rounds um, at the Hinch last week. Um, had that brilliant final round at Carnoustie last year. And I had a little sort of chat with Eddie back in January. And he sort of quietly said that he quite fancied his chances of maybe winning the Claret Jug in July around Rawport Rush. So I'm going to have a few quid on Eddie Pepperell as well. But who, I know those are, also a little, those are also a little each way outside bets. Let's face it, the, the big names will be up there as well. And... Uh, you know, <laughs> when are any of us going to learn our lesson? Brooks Kepka is a major machine. <laughs> He's got Ricky Elliott in his bag, who is a member of Royal Port Rush, and there's every single inch of that course. So I've got no doubt that Brooksy will be there or thereabouts as well. At this point, Alex, who hasn't spoken to Eddie Pepperell? 
Exactly. I was going to say, yeah, I know. star of uh, Not Another Golf Podcast, episode one. Subscribe, review, listen, etc. Um, Jamie, listen, thank you for uh, lending us some of your time. I, I know you've been really busy uh, lately no, working on the documentary and what have you. Um, will you be in Portrush? I will be. I'm heading out on Saturday. I can't wait. Um, it's just going to be a magical week. We hope we get the sunshine. and um, We know that everyone's just going to fall in love with this little part of the world. Um, the welcome will be warm. The course will be the star of the show. And everyone who's played their own little small part in uh, bringing the Open back to Northern Ireland for the first time in 68 years will have a tear in their eye as, um, as the champion golfer of 2011 hits the opening tee shot at 6.30 on Thursday. At least, I think he will. Anyway. You're listening to Not Another Golf Podcast with Sporting Life Ben Coley and National Club golfers Alex Perry. Okay, so that was Jamie Weir, Sky Sports. Very kind of him to join us on Not Another Golf Podcast. Um, I would just say, I think Jamie mentioned there that that was recorded last week. We're now in Monday of Open Week yep. uh, recording. And that was, re- that was we recorded that last week. Uh, the road to Royal Port Rush is actually on demand now on Sky. I'm watching so, it as soon as I get home, Alex. I... Uh, I've got football tonight, but I think I will watch it as soon as I get home. Oh, Good, what about I should think so. Love Island, though. So, oh, you're an idiot. Uh, Can I just say one thing about Jamie, by the way? Yes. Um, and I hope I didn't say this in the actual thing, but I don't think I would have because he was on the phone and it would have been really weird. But we met Jamie at the same time. Well, I, I met him for the first time when I was with you. We yes, went to do a, a, a podcast, whatever. Don't talk about it. Um, <laughs> and he, he's one of those guys who who's, I'd sort of uh, messaged with on Twitter and he'd retweeted some of my stuff and... Um, hopefully vice versa um but obviously his stuff is kind of tv when he greeted me it was like he'd known me for years and i think that's the mark of a good person because he ma- hadn't or known you for a long time and but you, do you know what i mean just you i was a bit apprehensive going to where we went to to do it and and then someone makes you immediately at ease it's a skill i don't have i make people terribly uncomfortable um and he has that skill so he's uh, one of the good guys jamie i'm Sure, he should be very proud of what he's uh, done with that documentary, and I hope he gets the the victory for Rory that he so craves. <laughs> he also mentioned um, Darren Clark hitting the opening tee shot, uh, and since that recording has been confirmed that Clark is the the tee times came out this morning, Monday morning. Um, I just got a little anecdote on that because, uh, as I mentioned in the last podcast, I went to speak with Darren Clark about some things, mainly the Open. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he said over dinner, uh, off the record, uh, that he didn't really want to hit the opening tee shot because it's uh, his quote was, "It's just something they give to the old guy that's got no chance of winning." Um, so In whether whether they consulted, sorry, go on. No, was just, whether they consulted with him or not about whether he was going to do mm. that or whether they just tell him he's going to do that. What did he find out at the same time as us? That's quite interesting, isn't is, it? Is this to suggest that he sees him? I'm sorry, this is going to sound rude, but they're his words. But like, I mean, that's kind of what he is, right? Yeah, but well, hmm, is he? Because well, there are okay, many so look, older. Look at, look, was, it Sandy, of... was it Sandy? Was it Sandy Lyle at Carnoustie last year? Okay, so he's not that so, old. He's not a Sandy Lyle like got absolutely no chance, going to miss the cut by twelve or fifteen, is he? Like no, he you're, is... that's that's true. He he. So what I'm asking, what I guess I'm trying to establish is whether he still thinks he's a competitor. He obviously does, which is great. That's admirable. Well, I, just... I think he is. Why wouldn't he be? It's his home course. He knows it better than anyone else there, um, and he's still playing competitive golf week in week out. Yeah, he's going to miss the cut, though. He, well, yeah, he will now have said that. Cheers, Darren. Sorry. Um, Should we move on? Yeah, let's. The course. You wanted to say something about the Friction. course. You said, Alex, ask me about the course when we've come out of the Jamie chat. 
Yeah, okay. Well, um, so I guess the thing was when we were chatting to Jamie, you know, at the time it was raining um, and there were puddles at Portrush, um, but there's been a, a much better weekend. And I suppose the um, the key is to try and learn as much as possible as we can about the course because we had it for the 2012 Irish Open um, where Jamie Donaldson won and it played tricky enough. The weather was really nasty for a lot of that week, not necessarily the wind, but more the rain. Um, but there were certainly scoring opportunities. But there have been two new holes, as we talked about with Jamie there, which have uh, played their part in lengthening the course as well. And also, this is the Open. They're not going to set it up the same way. And so I guess I wanted to offer the insight that I could offer without having yet been to Portrush about how it might play. And it comes from Matt Cooper, a friend of the show, who's been there for the last couple of days. He was a little bit surprised by how many irons were being taken off tees. He spoke to some marshals who said a lot of the holes where players are trying to hit driver, um, they're running out of room. They're finding that the angles are against them and, and the landing areas are just not um, appropriately sized to make it a risk worth taking. And the marshals had actually said that it's quite easy to lose a golf ball in the rough. It's not necessarily the, the wispy stuff we had at Carnoustie, but it, it, it's thick in places and balls sit at the bottom of it. So... Um, Despite the fact the course is lengthened and it's rained, I think when we spoke to Jamie, we were kind of leaning towards seeing whether maybe some big hitters can just blast their way. And Jamie did sort of try to temper that idea. And I think from what I've heard since, it only increases uh, my belief that this is proper links. Um, you can't spray it everywhere. And that whoever wins this week will have demonstrated uh, a very, very high level of control. Yes, off the tee, but mainly with their approach shots. So that's what I think I've learned over the last four days. So let's focus on Rory McIlroy. Mm. He's the the homeboy, as it were. He's probably going to have more pressure on him than any other player in that field yep. uh, to win in his homeland. Um, how does the course for you set up to play to Rory McIlroy's strengths? Well, I, I guess the, the main thing in his favour is that he knows it so well. I think he said he's played it 50 to 100 times. Yeah. Um, Shot, six, shot 61 there. Yeah, 61 as a 16-year-old. And all that is part of the, the, the narrative. I guess it's part of the, the wider interest of, of the Open Championship. Rory, as Jamie said, is a big part of why the Open is in Northern Ireland again. Is it that significant to him this week? I don't know. Two new holes, uh, an Open Championship setup. I think it gives him a little advantage, but it won't win him the Open. Um, what will win him the Open is him producing his best golf when he needs to and when it matters most. And in truth, that's been the issue, hasn't it, for, for five years, really, since he last won a major championship. And that's not to say he hasn't been close. He very nearly won it even at Carnoustie last year. He had a chance to win it. Um, he threatened on Sunday at Birkdale. But these are final round charges, right? They're, they're great for TV coverage. They're very exciting. But on no occasion, neither of those occasions, did he hit the front and, and look like winning the tournament. And the only real chance, I, as far as I see it, that he's had um, was was the Masters last year when Patrick Reed kind of put him in his place. So that, that that's the ongoing issue. But what I will say is that if you were looking for um, better signs in terms of his preparation, his best major this year was the last one. Um, he certainly uh, impressed in Canada. But for me, Sawgrass was the time where the, the, the best I've seen of Rory in several years was Sawgrass. Um so yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, he's he's kind of what he is. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and the thing I would say about Rory is that I wouldn't say he's a great links golfer. By that I mean he, I don't think he improves for being on a links course. Yeah. But it, he doesn't. Some others depreciate. They're not as good. Um, his record, you know, he won at Hoy Lake and he's not been out of the top five since. That's pretty extraordinary uh, in a in a championship where there are so many variables. So I, I think he's the best, the the best and most likely player in the tournament. 
Yeah. My my biggest concern with him is uh, it's the the same as the Augusta effect. I th- I feel like he's put so much pressure on himself at Augusta, and people have put so much pressure on him indeed um, over the years that that's that's played on him at Augusta. Um, I mean, so much of this game is played in the head. Partly why I'm so rubbish. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, oh, that was awkward. Um, so for me. Is that is that is the same thing happening for him at Royal Port Rush? Is he going into the since Port like he would have been thinking about this since mm-hmm. Port Rush was announced as yeah. as the open venue, and he'll be thinking he will want to win it here more than he will. I, I reckon if you said to him you could win the open at Port Rush and then never win another open again, I reckon he'd take it. He would absolutely take it. So that's the kind of pressure he's putting on himself. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think maybe we the media. Um, make more of that than than we should though i don't something though i don't deny that it's 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 affected him somewhat at augusta um you know he hasn't been that free-flowing brilliance um that we'd seen in in earlier years since he's had this chance to win the career grand slam um What's interesting for me is that he changed tack. So if you, there are a lot of interviews doing the rounds thing he did on BBC and Sky Sports where he looks the reporter in the eye and does what Rory McIlroy does, which is offer an honest assessment. And he says, this is the biggest tournament. It's the one chance I get to win an Open at Portrush. Maybe not true that, but um, but here we are. Um, and it does mean more to him than winning green jackets. And yet then on Sunday night after the Scottish Open, he said, I'm going to treat it like any other tournament. And I thought, <laughs> well, hold on, pal. You're the one who's given them the material yeah. here. Yeah. Um, so it's a bit late for that. Um, I don't see it as a negative, but I tell you, it'll absolutely be the first thing people reach for if he doesn't play well. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to weigh up without being a psychologist, I suppose. One thing that certainly interested me that he said was that the a lot there was a lot of talk about why he wasn't playing the Irish Open, of course. Um, he and he said he wanted to play the Scottish because he mostly plays best in his sort of second week of tournaments. Mm-hmm. You know, like when he has a little run of tournaments, he always plays best in the second week. He said, um, which is why he chose the Scottish. Um, he says that he's not he's often not very good in the third week, which is why he didn't want to go Irish Scottish Open, which is which is fair enough. Um, so, I th- I mean I think he played well enough at the Scottish over the weekend. Yeah, I agree with Didn't that. Didn't see a lot of it because I was watching cricket. But sure, um, I mean it was job done for him. Yeah. basically. Yeah, it was it was go to the Scottish Open, play well, move on. So are we expecting? You were mentioning there about players uh, hitting a lot of uh, irons off the tee. Are we expecting Rory McIlroy to to rein himself back in, as it were? I think he'll have to. Um, I he said interestingly he said I only expect to hit three or four drivers per round immediately by the way that's a negative i mean this is self-evident but when your biggest weapon is the driver the less you can use it the less you can um impart your advantage over the field um but interestingly what he said was he had exactly the same thought before going to carnoustie and he got to carnoustie and hit it 10 times around um despite it being rock hard you know it's yellow carnoustie last year so that's interesting but it's equally significant that the rough at carnoustie was wispy and i think rory felt as a number of players did tony finau would be another one who hit driver a lot that it's worth it because you might get a good lie i think the feeling is at port rush is that if you do stray you're probably not going to get a good lie yeah so i think that may be the significant uh subtle difference between carnoustie and port rush 
um, that will force him to hit irons off the tees. But I don't mind him doing that. And I think one of the interesting things about those two wins this year, despite what I'm saying about the driver, and, and look, I'm not going to tell you it wasn't significant in those wins, but they were on shorter courses. It wasn't just, you know, go out and blast it. Um, so, yeah, um, I don't see it as a massive issue, but, you know, it, would it be more effective at St Andrews? Probably. So I think that segues quite nicely into um, how the, the big names are preparing. I think mm. we should sort of take a little look at that, <laughs> Many really. Many different ways. So um, so Rory, as I've said, is is looking to get into a, a good run with a, a second week showing at Portrush by playing the Scottish. Um, we had uh, Brooks Kepka, who played really quite badly at... Uh, in, in Michigan Mil- and then Michigan Minnesota. Minnesota. I mean, Minnesota. Why? I why? What's he, what are you doing here? Yeah. You know, not in a bad way. They're happy to yeah. see him. But what, why was he there? Why was he playing those tournaments? <laughs> Sponsor obligations? The PGA Tour make you play? Well, yeah, you've got to play this like one that. tournament. Uh, you? Just a quick point about Brooks. And I know, sorry, you're going to move on to some other ways we can prepare for a major tournament. We. Um, <laughs> the Danny Willett we. Um, a lot of people will just go, okay, well, he doesn't care about those tournaments, so it doesn't matter how he played. But I would urge those people to go back and look how he played in the weeks prior to his four wins, and the answer is better. He didn't play great, didn't win, but he, I think two starts before he won the US Open last year at Shinnecock, he uh, chased home Justin Rose at Colonial. Um, he played top 20 at Firestone before he won the PGA the first time. Um, this is off the top of my head. Yeah, basically, he's played quite well, at least very well at some stage in the two starts prior to his other four wins. In Michigan and Minnesota, he played badly, both of them. Yep. Or was it, it was it Connecticut and then Michigan? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. The states <laughs> are not important. Um, the point is, he played really badly in both, and I think that is a concern. Uh, DJ as well hasn't been in great form. No, he decided just to play once and play badly and miss the cut. And but he's been in Port Rush for a while, hasn't he? Yeah, he's played with Graham McDowell over yeah. the weekend, which the, one of the tricky things for punters is to sort of try and weigh up uh, the different ways to prepare. Um, interestingly, over the last couple of years, the winner has sort of prepared. I think Jordan Spieth had had three weeks off. Francesco Molinari had played the John Deere Classic, and we were all saying, I think had you and I sat opposite each other, we'd have said, well, we like Francesco, but why is he playing the John yeah, Deere Classic? Absolutely. Um, and yet it didn't stop him. So I think what we've come to learn probably is that there's no right way for everybody. There's a right way for each player. But surely taking your mum to Thailand is not the right way for anybody. Well, Tiger's never played a tournament before the Open. Never? He's ne- he never, never played? Never, well, I mean, I'm taking that information from ESPN's Bob Harrig and he's... Oh, you know, he's uh, a doyen of the pressure. Exactly. No is. one's going to dispute that if it's coming from him but um yeah so my understanding via bob is that tiger has never played the week before the open ah the week before sorry i thought you meant between the u.s and the oh and no the sorry no so he never played the week before i the i don't think playing the week before was necessary and I, I totally understand why he hasn't i mean it's easy to sit here as a non-golfer and say oh yes you know why aren't you in ireland why aren't you in scotland they've got families they are humans yeah. they have their own agendas uh, ryan moore for instance is not playing the open championship because his wife's expecting a baby and all these little things that we don't always take into account or we can't take into account but what i would say is when i watch the uspga tiger in that feature group on day one with brooks kept he starts with a double bogey and the feeling throughout those two rounds as he tried hard but in vain to make the cut was that he was not sharp enough because he'd not played since Augusta. Um, and then he played once between that and the US Open and played okay at the US Open. He had a good finish, but again, he took a while to get going. He wasn't ever in the tournament in the way that he'd want to be. And I just think there's a real big risk that playing in that uh, 
tetchy three ball alongside Patrick Reed and Matt Wallace. Um, I think there's a real big risk that on Thursday he just shoots a couple of shots higher because he's not sharp and leaves himself a mountain to climb. And I think that's a mistake. Yeah, I think I was, I mean, obviously we all saw that viral video last week of him (laughs) at one o'clock in the morning saying, was it, wake up, it's Tiger. I'm not as good as the lad that does the impressions. But um, that was, yeah, that for me was really odd because I just think, it's only a few days out and just, 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 I mean, you talk about family and family time and stuff like that, but you think if you're that serious about it, just come over three or four days before, like getting up at one o'clock in the morning in Florida, I'm assuming it was, uh, is utterly ridiculous. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I can't, really I can't get back. Like I, I, I wrote a piece, I wrote a piece about it the other day and I just said, do you know where else is on the same time zone as Northern Ireland? Northern Ireland. Sure. Just, just get over a few days before. You could have um, taken his mum to the Giants yeah, Causeway. Exactly. exactly yeah. She would, uh, she, she would, would love bloody love Northern Ireland. <laughs> yeah. And so would his kids. There's so many lovely things to do in Northern Ireland. Why are you going to Thailand? So yeah, for me, Tiger, if he's serious about winning this tournament, he should have been over a couple of days before, I think. Um, but this is like the most Tiger thing ever. It's like play zero competitive golf and then come over and win by like six. So yeah, I'm not. I'm not honestly. I'm not going to be surprised if he storms it, and I'm not going to be surprised if he misses the cut by seven or eight. So I just I don't know what to say about Tiger Woods anymore. How would you prepare if you were? Let's let's put you. You're a world class golfer. You played well in the U.S. Open. You finished twenty first, tied twenty first. Um, alongside Patrick Cantlay, for instance. That's okay. That's a that's a decent wedge. Yeah, yeah. yeah very thank very you pleased very with your performance. Although you were expecting a little more because you liked the course. You've <laughs> you've not played since. Maybe you played the Travelers, but you you weren't into it. Um, and here comes the Open. You're an American. You've not got that much links experience. Do you play Ireland, Scotland Open? Do you play just Scotland? Do you play just Ireland? Or do you play neither? The DJ approach. And head out to Port Rush, maybe play Ballybunion or what, play another couple of courses in Ireland or Northern Ireland and, and build up some, some quiet experience of Lynx golf, as Stuart Sink did when he won this 10 years ago. Yeah, I, I think if, 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 if this is my maybe my first or second Open, I think I'm probably playing the Irish and or the Scottish beforehand. If, I've played, if this is my 10th Open, for the sake of argument, I think I'm probably doing what Jordan Spieth is doing and just coming over and playing sort of Port Marnock and golf courses around and uh, sorry Port Stewart I think he was that wasn't he um, I'm in the wrong country there I think um, geography is not our strong point today we've, we've it's really not, failed know, you know, um, so I think Jordan Spieth was at Port Stewart apologies if that's wrong um, I quite like that approach especially if I've got a few opens under my belt just get which over which you have you have exactly yeah so come over get a nice house with my pals mm-hmm. um, Jordan and Justin and the boys um, and then we're just uh, Ricky, and then um, we're just just play some play some nice golf courses in the area. I mean these uh, Cameron Tringale. <laughs> these part is that how you pronounce? That's how I pronounce. I've it. always said I've always assumed it's Tringale, but I've never said it out loud. Oh God, this is horrible. He's not in the open. Forget about it. He's him not in the on. open. Stop worrying about him. Um, so yeah, I, you think Scotland and uh, Northern Ireland and Cornwall and the North. Uh, west of England and things like that places like that have just the most incredible Lynx golf courses in the world basically so I, I like to think that I would 
indulge in some just, of that. Yeah, exactly. Just come over yeah. and play a few of those and enjoy I quite like it. that. I don't mind the DJ approach. At least he's played a tournament as well. You know, like yeah. he did play. I know he played badly, but it's tournament golf. Just feels like rocking up for the first start. I don't know if it's just me. Like psychologically, you have not played golf. Your, your, your last eight rounds, if you make the cut in the open, if you're Tiger Woods, are going to be majors. Yeah. Like chill out. Have a week off where you're, you're still on. You know what I mean? Just, just play some golf. Anyway, um, enough of that. Shall we move on to talking about some content? I want to play a game. I want to okay, play a game. cool. Um, let, let's um, do a little, I'm going to call it uh, Gone in 60 Seconds because Nicolas Cage is, I know, a fan of this podcast. <laughs> um, Nothing makes me clench more than when you say, I want to play a game. Of course, yeah. Especially when um, you have genuinely got no idea what's coming. Um, so I'm going to give you three players, right? I'm going to give you one minute. And I want you to tell me why they will not win the Open Championship. Will not win. Yeah, I mean, this is the sort of uh, race to the bottom stuff which I usually would not indulge in. But hey, this is what podcasts are for. So I'm going to give you three players. Um, Is there anyone you definitely don't want? Oh, God. Tommy Fleetwood. Right, you can have Tommy Fleetwood. Um, Come on, that's classic. Classic. Uh, You can have Tommy Fleetwood, John Rahm, and why not Mr... One o'clock alarm calls, Tiger Woods. Um, and I'm going to give you one minute starting from now. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood, I have always said that I think he will win multiple majors. Um, That's the opposite my, of what he's supposed to be doing. No, my, my concern for him at the end, and this, again, I'm going back to when I was chatting to Darren Clark, um, and he said, I said, will Tommy Fleetwood ever win majors? And uh, Darren said that his biggest concern about Fleetwood is he hasn't got that ability yet to um, play different sorts of shots that are required for Lynx golf. And that's his um, concern, which is also strange given that Fleetwood grew up on, on Lynx golf. But he has, he says he hasn't got that sort of cut down shot that you need to have to keep it under the wind and things like that. So maybe that's a reason. Like I said, I didn't that, want that's Tommy great, Fleetwood. Alex. Yeah. But you've got 20 seconds left. Oh, God. Um, it's going to have to be gone in 90 seconds. Okay, I'm afraid. fine. Tiger Woods. Uh, I think we've already said the reasons why he's not going to win. I can't. Like, again, I wouldn't be surprised if he won by six, but to just to just come here off the back of going to hol- on holiday to Thailand with your mum, having played no competitive golf since the US Open, I just think that um, I think he's there's there's been a few people, a Paul Azinger mainly, has said re- in the last couple of days that he just doesn't understand why he, he thinks that Tiger's just accepted that that's it. Now he's won his fifteenth major at the Masters, um, which was a very interesting thing to say. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that, but. I think that probably the Masters has gone in 120 seconds. Gone in 120 Alex, seconds. Six seconds to tell me why John Rahm's not going to win it. John Rahm um, obviously loves Lynx Golf. Has won the Irish Open a couple That's of times. That's why he will win it. Tell me why um, he won't. <laughs> uh, uh, it, again, his his temperament is just a, a huge concern for me. I think that it only takes something very small for him to blow up. And I'm again, I'm concerned that he will be one of those players that ends up just never getting over the line at a major simply for that reason, that he needs to learn to control his temperament. See also Hatton, Tyrrell, for example. Um, so, yeah, that's why John Rahm won't win a major. Easy answer, but you sprung it on me. So Okay, and you took two minutes. Now, two this is going to be easy for me because I'm the one with the clock, so I can self-time here. Okay, but, um well, if you want to do it in reverse, I mean, we can move on. No. Um, do you want your three players up front or do you want me to just shout them at you as you go along? Yeah, okay, let's do that. Right, gone. Uh, three, two, one. 
Rory McRoy. Uh, Rory won't win the Open because there's too much pressure on his shoulders. It's been five years since he won a major championship. He's not really looked like winning one in the last five years. He's going to have to scale back off the tee, which won't be ideal. And he's just going to get to some point, maybe midway through the third round Saturday, where he's on the fringe of contention. And he's going to just reach that driver again and again. And if it doesn't go well, it will cost him. You've played this game before. Brooks Kepka. Oh, he just can't. He just can't carry on doing this, Brooks. You cannot carry on doing this. This is historic golf he is playing. 1-2, one, 1-2 two, one, two in the last four majors. Um, it can't carry on. If there's a major that will find him out, it's this one, and it did in the third round at Carnoustie last year. It'll happen again. Uh, off the top of my head, who do we want? Justin Rose. Uh, Justin Rose is just not very good at Lynx golf. Um Next, no. Um, he he obviously charged through the field. I think he finished second last year, um, staying on through the weekend, um, having made the cut on the number. But that was his best open finish in 20 years since he was an amateur. Not good enough. Not going to win. Good. That was much better. You're much better at going in 60 seconds than I am. Why I suggested it. Um, <clears throat> so I, I feel like maybe we'll, I, I don't we'll rehearse that next time. Yeah, I mean, that's the end of that feature. Um, that will be back. Next year for the Masters, maybe. Season two, not another golf podcast. So, okay, let's talk about players who will win. Um, I really want Jordan Spieth to win. Oh, God. Um, So, I I know I said I wouldn't bring it up, but I just do. Um, I want to see him back winning. Uh, Tell me why Jordan Spieth is going to win on the Sunday. Oh, gosh, Um, that's hard. Um, he's a magician who could come alive at any moment. He's a great links golfer. And I suppose the biggest positive is that even last year when he wasn't playing particularly well, um, he arrived here, um, well, at Carnoustie, and after three rounds, he was the favourite. I think he's one shot off the lead. So even when he's not been at his best, he's managed to find a way. I suppose that's um, that's the major positive. But he said himself that those three top tens he had, including what the USPGA um, in sort of late spring, early summer, were kind of papering over the cracks because he putted brilliantly again. And actually, against common uh, perception, when he's been at his very best, yes, of course, he's had that putter firing from 20 feet. But the reason he's been able to allow it to do so has been that his approach play has been absolutely fantastic. It's not been this year. So hand on heart, he's not, he's not for me at all. But obviously, he's a, his price reflects the fact that he's not Jordan Spieth of two years ago. Another player I'd very much like to see win uh, and get his uh, first claret jug is Mr. Adam Scott. Mm, handsome, isn't he? He is handsome. Effortlessly Too handsome, so. if anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, Always comes up with the actor when you Google him, which seems the wrong way around to me because, yeah. you know. One of my favourite ever tweets was when Adam Scott, the golfer, won the Masters and then Adam Scott, the actor, tweeted, this is fun. Classic. So uh, Yeah, classic. Yeah. The John Lewis tweet, as Enjoyed it were. that, yeah. Um, Adam Scott's a great links golfer, isn't he? Um, you have to go back a long time since he missed a cut, and he should have won this already. He should have won it in 2012. He should have won it in 2013, and he probably should have won it in 2015. Um, do you think he'll make the putts he needs to on Sunday? I know it's a bit cliche, but actually, when you look at the stats, Adam Scott has become a top 25% PGA Tour putter this year. Um, and you sort of think, well, okay, why? How is that? What's changed? And then you look closer, and actually, he's made loads and loads of putts from 15 to 25 feet. Um and miss loads of putts from inside five feet. Actually, a little bit similar to Jordan Speed. And I just worry that when it comes to the crunch on Sunday, um, I expect he'll play well. But when it comes to making those putts, uh, he he might just struggle, you know, to, just to make the ones that matter, as he did when he famously blew it at Lytham. So, as our resident expert, mm. 
how many how many um, top tips and how many outside tips do you want? Two of each. Can we just go full side markets? Is go that on. all right? All right, can we yeah, go side okay. markets. That's what people tune in for. Yeah, where they can make some serious cash on well, a twenty five p bet. Um, you know, joking aside, like the majors, and I, I know I'm just going to sound like I'm whining here, but the majors are really, really hard to preview because it's all out there in front of us to a degree. And when it's not, it's because we're playing a course like Port Rush where we've not seen it in action for several years. Um, but all the players, we know them, they're all in the form book. It's not like last week where if you're kind of new to golf, you're looking and you're seeing Colin Morikawa was the favourite. Well, let's find out some more about him. Why might he be suited to this course? Why might Matthew Wolf find better opportunities elsewhere? All that stuff is great for the week to week. When it comes to a major, it's kind of a little bit more, well, one of the best players in the world will probably win it. Whose turn will it be? And that makes it really, really difficult um, to find value and also to argue a, a confident, compelling case. So I often find in majors the best thing to do for the serious bets, for the ones you, where you think, you know, I, this is where I want to win my money, um, is to look at those side markets. And I'll throw you a nice, easy starter, um, top amateur I think Brandon Wu is probably, by a little distance, the best amateur here. Playing some very, very good golf. He's, yeah, he qualified in style. He finished 35th in the US Open, which is major experience. I mean, it's high-class major experience on as links. well. On a links-like layout at Pebble Beach. So um, the Kanaya, the Japanese... That was yeah, that's so not bitchy, links, isn't it? Course, is it? I love that. Um, Ka- uh, Takumi Kanaya, the Japanese, is not far off being as talented, and he made the cut in the Masters. But I think it's between the two. So if you're talking a two-horse race where the best horse is two to one, you're getting a very good bet. Uh, Victor Hovland was the leading top amateur at the Masters as favourite, and I think Brandon Wu will be at the US Open. Uh, what about some uh, bigger names, people that you really fancy? Maybe around sort of 100 to one who you who I should be putting a couple of quid on. Sure, okay. So I'll give you a few that I think are really interesting for, for the right reasons. Shane Lowry's one. He's a little bit more off the radar than McElroy McDowell because he's not from Northern Ireland, but obviously playing in Ireland, the island, um, will be significant to him too. Uh, he's got a really solid links pedigree. All of this is known, but I think the most significant factor is that he's a winner again. And and for a player like Lowry, it had been a frustrating run since he won the WGC in 2015. Obviously, things kind of went off the rails when he... Uh, failed to win the US Open at Oakmont. So getting back in the winner's circle and doing it in such a big event as the Abu Dhabi HSBC Championship, I think it was really significant for him. And he's basically played well throughout summer. Um, he's one of the best par three players in the world. And the par threes at Port Rush, particularly the 16th, are very, very difficult. He's got magic hands around the greens. Everyone's going to miss, uh, you know, four greens around on average, maybe, you know, for if you're playing well, that is. So um, I think Shane Lowry is really interesting. But I've got a sort of trendy one, uh, a bit of a trendy one, and it's Christian Tuez Bezadenhut. Um, the reason I think he's interesting, I mean, part of it is that the comparisons with Louis Ustazen in 2010 are really easy. Loads of near misses, not as many for Bezadenhut. I think Ustazen have been runner-up four or five times. Ustazen then won in Spain in May, I think, and then won the Open Championship in July. Uh, surprise, all the way winner of the Open Championship. Well, Bezadenhut's had the similar profile. He went and won in Spain. And now he's coming to the Open a little bit under the radar, but as someone who's clearly among the more confident and talented European Tour newcomers or nearly newcomers. Um, and for those who like a fairy tale, um, I don't know if fairy tale is the right phrase, uh, it's, it's kind of well known now that he was banned for using beta blockers as an amateur because he suffers with anxiety. I think anyone yep. who, who's seen him on TV will, will, will see that. Um, and there's no, there's no scurrilous activity here. It's just a, a bit of a 
communication breakdown or whatever. He was banned at Portrush in 2014 in the Amateur Championship. So there'd be something poetic about his return there. But more to the point, he's brilliant around the greens and he's accurate off the tee. And we know that South Africans as a, as a broad group, I know we shouldn't tie them all together, but they've been overachievers in majors. Trevor Immelman, Charles Schwartz or Louis Hayes, Noni Els, Ratif Houston. Uh, the list goes on not much further, but it does go on. Um, and I think Christian Bezaden, who is in any other major, I wouldn't give him much of a chance, but in the Open, where young, confident players like him can make an impact or have an impact, I, I think he's one to watch at about 300 to one as well. Just uh, shortening the odds slightly, I was quite surprised while scanning the markets uh, a couple of days ago that um, Pepperell, Eddie Pepperell, friend of the show, mm, is... Episode one. Um, episode one, go and listen. Um is was out uh, I think off the top of my head ninety to one sounds about right, um, yeah. which is given he finished six at Carnoustie last year that's a surprise yeah, with isn't a it? sore head yeah yeah, yeah um, so he had a little bit of a shoulder injury which meant he didn't go out for the U.S. Open um, he could have played but he decided that it would be long term better for him not to um, that would have been a hard decision to make and he'll be desperate I'm sure to to sort of show that it was the right one. He played both the Irish and the Scottish. Not that many players in the field who did that. Um, he played very well in Ireland on his comeback and then he played solidly enough in Scotland. He's got an excellent Lynx pedigree, nearly won at Hillside, won in Qatar, which is a good Lynx guide. Yeah, I think he'll be popular. I do. I think he's one of those players who, for a bookmaker, will if they win, the bookmaker will lose money because there are going to be a lot of people who just throw a tenner <clears> on Eddie Pepperell yeah. because he's Eddie Pepperell. You know? Who do you fancy, Alex? I talk all day about every player, but I think um, you get a bit bored with me. I quite like, outside of the, the top players, I will be putting a few quid on. Um, I quite like Mark Leishman. Mm-hmm. Solid, um, solid. Carnoustie didn't, re- a, a good player in the wind. Um, I don't, Carnoustie didn't suit him last year because it was sunny and calm. And uh, But this is a guy who, uh, was he tied six at um, Birkdale the year He was, before? yeah. Three, three top sixes there. in four years um, prior to last year. He plays well at tournaments like the Sony Open where it just blows all the time. So, uh, and I mean, I know we look at Leishman um, and think that if he's going to get one, it's going to be the Masters. But I think uh, if you're putting another one up there, it's going to be the Open. Um, I just think that he's, like I said, he's a very good wind player and I thoroughly expect him to do well if the wind blows this week, um, which I think we're expecting it to. Yeah, um, steady, steady 14, 15 miles an hour, I think. Yeah. I don't think it'd be, it's not going to blow him off the course, but no. it'll make him think. Um yeah, so so Leishman's my man for for a few quid. I like I that. That's an, yeah. yeah, I mean he's he's arriving in that in a brilliantly Mark Leishman way, which is totally under the radar, isn't he? He likes to go about things and not you know ruffle any feathers or whatever. Um, so I can see him playing well. Certainly, he's, he's he's returned to a bit of form over the last few weeks, and I think he'll be another popular one. I I, I guess a lot of us are always looking at the same players year in year out of the Open. You know, Stenson will be very popular this week. I even think some will consider Garcia, and actually the more I looked at him, the more I, I wondered whether to do so. Um, Stenson's but, only won once since Troon. Yeah, it's not great, is it? He won the Wyndham when I tipped Ollie Schneiderians at 80-1. to 1. I don't want to talk about it. Um, <laughs> Sorry about that. No, that's fine, that's fine. You're right, though. It's not. He's not done the winning and that's an interesting thing you say about winning just to conclude my overall thoughts because a lot of the time when we have this chat on major week um it's before i've finished my preview because we've we're all busy um so i'd rather give people some ammunition to go and find their own selections if they're their only interaction with me this week is to listen to the podcast which to be honest is probably the safest bet of all (laughs) um winning tournaments right i know it sounds obvious but winning tournaments is the best way to prepare to win a major Francesco Molinari had won two of his last, what, five starts when he won uh, the Claret Jug. 
Jordan Spieth had won his previous tournament when he won it. So had Phil Mickelson. Henrik Stenson had won his penultimate tournament. I think Louis Eustace had won about six starts ago. Darren Clark had even won in the same year of his victory. Ernie Els had lost a playoff, so it's the next best thing. Um, who else has won the Open this year? Zach Johnson had got three top six finishes in his last four starts. Uh, have I missed anyone? Rory had won earlier in the year. Okay, he'd gone a little bit off the boil, but um, he's Rory McIlroy. The, the normal rules don't apply. <laughs> yeah. uh, if you look, Todd Hamilton, 2004 Open champion, he'd won the Honda Classic. If you want to just find a way to chop loads of people out of your calculations, if you've not won this year, cross them off. That does cross off Stenson, Garcia, Adam Scott, Justin Thomas, Jordan Speed. A lot of players get chopped off that list and you're left with something manageable. I think there are worse policies. And certainly if you're looking at those at massive prices, Bazaden who Jazz Janawatan and Ond, have I said that correctly? I hope You've I have. definitely been practicing that in the shower. Um, Bernd Wiesberger, not that he's a massive price anymore, but these guys who've won tournaments, there is no substitute for it. None at all. So uh, yeah, give them an extra tick in the boxes underneath their names. All right. Final question. Mm. Who is going to be crowned the champion golfer of the year 2019? Lovely question. <clears throat> Rory McIlroy. I, I, I really, I really want it to happen. I, I'm not going to tip him. Um, but he's the most likely winner, I think. And I know in that game, did I do, I think I did Rory, didn't I? So you made me say why he won't win. Yeah. But, I really think it could turn into a positive. I think this pressure thing, like I said, I think we maybe just worry about it too much. And I think it's very easy for it to flip. Like if thing, it will rest on how things go for him in the early stages of the tournament. And if he gets off to that hot start and he just plays as he can on Thursday, he could be two shots clear after the end of the first round. And that was Hoylake, wasn't it? You know, basically led after the first round and when everyone said, well, he's not been playing very well on Fridays recently, he went and played just as well the next day and, and they never touched him. And when I, what I would say is if you're going to back Rory, have a look if your bookmaker's got a price on to lead after every round because it'd be a big price, be upwards of 50 to 1. And when he does win, so often that is the case, yeah. less so in <clears> recent <throat> years. But um, I, I can see it. Um, if I could give you one more, yes, I yeah, can. sure. Go on. Let's make up the rules as we go along. Um, Patrick Cantley. Um, <laughs> I, I, I wrote in my profiles um, that people don't quite get how good he is yet, and I maintain that. Um, I think he's every bit... I think he's better than Xander Shoffley. Um, and I think a lot of people would, would feel the other way. So Patrick Cantley, for me, 12th at Carnoustie last year, I think he's going to play really well. Xander Shoffley was actually going to be my pick. Um, this is, like Cantley, is someone who is building themselves quite a, a major championship mm, CV. Stunning so, major CV. He's been in um, Paris, though, like mucking around with Instagram. I don't approve. I'll tell you what, Alex, <laughs> given that we're about to reveal that this is the final episode of what's been a really enjoyable first season for me anyway, um, me and you will have a friendly bet, shall we? When okay. we sit down to recap and think about the glory days of Trips to Newark, went to, went to Newark. That was a wonderful we? week. Uh, where else do we go? My office. Your office, my office. All, all the offices. When we reflect on what we've, um, what we've done for the first series and what we want to do for the second series, we'll have a pint. And uh, whoever finishes higher, Patrick Cantley or Shoffley, we'll, we'll have a, a little wager on that. And the loser buys the beers. Okay? All right, fine. That's a fair thing. So this is the end of the, this, the first series. What's been your highlight? Um, oh, God. I mean, we peaked in episode one, didn't we, with Eddie yeah, Pepper? We'll, He's a we'll very, very it. funny guy. I don't think I need to tell anyone that. Um, oh, God. I've just... 
bloody loved all of it. Of course you have. I'll tell you mine. I, I'm you a, really I put mean, me on the spot there. You've obviously thought thinking, about it. What else did we do? What um, else no, we I, thanks to all the guests. We've had Chris Hansen, Chris Lloyd, Will Wilcox, Andy Johnson, Steve Brotherhood, uh, Rich Beam, Jamie Weir, Eddie Pepperell. Um, I'm bound to have missed somebody, but hopefully we've had a nice variety for you and you've enjoyed some of the podcast. I, 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 the guy I'd love to have back on and both of us speak to him would be Andy Johnson and we'll perhaps look to do that in the future. Yeah. Uh, really nice guy and I enjoyed speaking with him. Um, but it's been fun and uh, we get to end on a high of Royal Port Rush. Um, yeah. I think before we go, um, Ben is running the Manchester oh, Marathon. Thank thank no, I'm going right. to bring this up. No, because the York you, always, you always put out tweets and you say, oh, if anyone's got a couple of quid, they could, they could yeah. sponsor me. If, for people that don't know Ben, this man should not be running. Uh, he certainly shouldn't be running Why? 26 miles. <laughs> you are not a runner. I ran 10 the other night. Um, it was great. Because you're about to run 26. Yeah, of course. Uh, no, no, I wasn't ben, a runner, but I will be a runner. Do you know what? Ben is always so polite in the way that he asks um, for, for any possible sponsorship on Twitter, and it's very polite. So I'm, I think I'm going to go down the slightly more passive-aggressive route and <laughs> say, this guy has uh, been the reason why you have won an awful lot of money on golf betting down the years. Up, so, and, up to and including January 2019 and not thereafter. So I think that if you can find a couple of quid to spot, what the, remind people of the charity. Just, uh, oh, um, Bloodwise. Yeah, Bloodwise. very, very good charity, um, which are trying, so, to, trying to kill leukemia. Yep, find the link on Ben's Twitter, which you all follow. Um, and that is the end of season one of Not Another Golf Podcast. When are we coming back? Have we decided? We haven't, have we? No, but we'll tweet it. You, you know, we'll, we, we might even have a bonus episode or something like that, yeah. or at least a season two trailer. All those things <laughs> that the proper podcast do. I like the sound of that, so we'll we'll do that. Um, but um, yeah, thank you, Alex. It's been thank fun. Thank you very much. Enjoy Port Rush. Thank you for listening to Not Another Golf Podcast. The most comprehensive golf news, previews, interviews and betting insight, then visit sportinglife.com and nationalclubgolfer.com.